Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Revelation 9 and the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Last week, Mrs. Budke helped us to understand the word declaration. Who remembers what a declaration is? Any of the children? Any of the children's parents? 
It's an announcement followed by an action. Absolutely. And last week we saw as the seven seals were opened and each one led to the next, the seventh seal was opened and the plan was told. But before the plan could be completed, seven angels are each given an opportunity to blow a trumpet. The thunder, the rumblings, the lightning, and the earthquake in chapter 8, verse 5 are now explained in greater detail. This week, we see seven attention getters. The first four, the trumpet blast, and then it leads right into action. But the last three, the trumpet blast, it's associated with a declaration that then leads to an action. The final three trumpets are different than the first four because the final three have a direct impact upon mankind. The first four happen to the creation, which then leads to a secondary impact upon man. The first four may sound familiar to us because we've seen each of these before. We saw them in the book of Exodus. The first four trumpets then are four plagues that are revisited. The first plague we see in chapter 8 verse 7 that's referred to in Exodus chapter 9 is the plague of earthly destruction. The rumblings from heaven lead to a devastation of vegetation. That'll preach. The devastation of vegetation. The seventh plague in Egypt caused hail to destroy plants and lightning to ignite fires. And while we have all seen what just a couple of weeks of drought can do to forest, to pastures, and to livestock... After the first trumpet blows and God sends hail, we won't just be talking about thousands of acres that burn, but thousands of counties of acres. The people will be moaning as one-third of the earth vegetation is destroyed after the first trumpet. Now, if the second horseman that we saw last week led to famine, because war leads to reduced resources, how much more will wildfires that destroy a third of the earth? It's going to get worse as the earth experiences destruction. The second trouble trumpet announces a salt water destruction. It's likely describing, if you look at the actual wording that John uses, possibly a meteor coming out of heaven and striking the sea. Some of us recall the tsunami of 2004. 
as an earthquake on the ocean floor caused huge waves that devastated Indonesia and killed hundreds as the waves swallowed the beachside property. If an underground earthquake can cause that type of a wave, imagine if a meteor were to hit the seas. After the tsunami, the following year, Hurricane Katrina swept ashore of Louisiana, killing over 1,800 people within our own country. In 2010, the Deepwater Horizon well exploded, causing damage to the fishing and the tourism industry for years. And as we look at this picture from the Deepwater Horizon, it's not hard to see why John says a third of the sea ran like blood. A third of the salt water is caused to flow red. And that's only the second of seven trumpets. Thirdly, after the salt water runs red, we then have the third trumpet, which says fresh water is destroyed. Now, we've had our share of boil advisories in our region, where water that was once safe becomes unsafe, usually because of man's invention in the distribution service. But in this situation... A boil advisory is going to flow out because something happens to the water itself so that a third of all the water becomes undrinkable. This kind of reminds me of Exodus chapter 15. As the people came upon a body of water and and it was bitter. Mara was bitter water. And so God told Moses to do something to make the bitter water sweet. He put a tree into the water, and the water miraculously and supernaturally became sweet. Which kind of is a picture of the bitterness of human experience that is made sweet by a tree that we call the cross of Calvary. Our human experience that is bitter and broken and fallen and evil, God interjected a wooden cross and our future becomes sweet as we look forward. First trumpet, hailstorms and no vegetation. Second trumpet, the salt water, third trumpet, the fresh water. But there is no remedy. There is no uh, tree that goes into the wormwood following this third trumpet, which then leads to a fourth trumpet blast, which I've labeled a celestial destruction. Because a third of the sun's light disappears. It becomes dark. And as it becomes dark, And the light disappears, also the heat and the energy would disappear. But a third of the stars at night, a third of the moon. And so um, politicians and climate activists today get awful excited about ozone depletion. And one... Excuse me. One degree change in the average temperature over a decade... 
What do you think these same activists will say when a third of the solar light, heat, and energy suddenly disappear? Those solar panels may not be such a good buy after all, after the fourth blast. In chapter 8, verse 13, we look in front of us and we read about an eagle that announces, my friend, things are about to get much, much worse. Because three woes, three warnings are about to be poured out on humanity. If it's bad enough that we're losing our vegetation, our salt water, our our fresh water, and our solar heat, Now the destruction comes directly upon man. And we're told that it is an eagle that pronounces these three woes. Some of the ancient manuscripts, copies hundreds of years old, change the word eagle to angel. Because in the language that John wrote, the word eagle and the word angel sound very, very similar. And some have trouble imagining a speaking eagle. If God can make an angel speak, I believe God can make an eagle speak. And so eagle is actually the more accurate as we have in our Bible, even though some other ancient transcripts say differently. Some see this eagle in in, uh, chapter 9, and then they begin to say, hmm, There's an eagle. That must be the United States of America. Right? The eagle is our emblem. But the problem is, is you will find an eagle, either the bald eagle or the golden eagle, or the two-headed eagle, as the state emblem of Russia, Poland, Germany, Liechtenstein, Austria, the Czech Republic, Serbia, Montenegro, Albania, Romania, Moldova, Armenia, the United States, the Philippines, Mexico, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Nambia, Nigeria, Zambia, and Ghana. No less than 14 different countries of the world use the eagle on their flag or on their logo. So let's not jump too quickly to seeing an eagle and say, see, this is talking about America. An eagle that talks is not a normal eagle. So either this is a supernatural eagle or it is a symbolic eagle, but either way, God is communicating a message to the people. And since we are not provided with a definitive answer, it's best for us just to claim God sent a messenger with a message. And the message is this. There are three woes for us to heed. The first woe, the fifth trumpet, tells us about demons from the pit. A fallen angel is given the keys to open up the pit, the abyss, and uprises smoke, and out of the smoke comes locust. And as the smoke comes, smoke could be literal smoke. The inspired word of God called it smoke. It could be smoke. Smoke could be simply the best words that John had available to him to describe what he sees in this vision. It could be a dust cloud. It could be smoke. 
the reason that it could be a dust cloud that appears to be a rising pillar of smoke is that some speculate the locust, <coughs> the locusts that are spoken of at the second part of verse of chapter eight and the beginning of verse twelve is actually our modern Apache helicopters. That if you took someone from the first century that saw something like this in the sky, the best word he has to describe it is, it looks like a locust to me. So it could be a literal locust that come from the abyss. The problem is, is that locusts consume vegetation and usually leave people alone. But the locust that we read about here after the fifth seal ignores the vegetation, which a third of it's already been destroyed, but instead it attacks humans. And so it's either a supernatural locust or locust is a symbolic language, but it is true, it is literal, that after the fifth seal, something is going to come up out of the pit that stings man. Chapter 9, verse 4, to me, seems to describe the precision capable of laser-guarded armament. As a pilot of an Apache would have the helmet with laser-guarded missiles. Because we read in 9.4 that it hits this, but not that. And it seems to, me, it seems to me to be a precise description. But surely this is not a normal locust. Now, before we settle into the fact that this is simply a purely human attack, remember, these locusts operate at the bidding of a star which has fallen. Where else in the scripture have we heard about a star that falls from the heaven? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It refers to Lucifer or to Satan as a star that fell from heaven. So these locusts, we don't have to connect too many dots, are at the bidding of Satan himself. And chapter 9 verse 11 gives a name to this leader of the locust. The name is Destroyer. The demons had a ruler over them whose Hebrew name is Abaddon and whose Greek name is Apollyon, but both Abaddon and Apollyon mean destroyer. Though Satan is sometimes portrayed as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, in this story, Satan and his demons are seen for what they really are, destroyers. Of people. What did Jesus say about Satan? The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that is the very nature of the evil one. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan reveals his hand against humanity. Now notice, those who are, struck, who are stung by these locusts are not the ones who are sealed by God. It's the unbelievers who are stung by the locust. 
So we see Satan not attacking the followers of God, but Satan's locusts are now stinging Satan's own followers. Because it's in the very core of who Satan is. He's a thief who steals, who kills, who destroys. He does not have your best interest in mind. He is not concerned with your happiness. Satan is not concerned with your pleasure. For we see here that God uses Satan to destroy Satan's own followers. After the fifth seal. After the fifth, I'm sorry, the fifth trumpet. We then see the sixth trumpet. After the locusts from the pit, we then see death that comes from the east. If it's one thing to have demon attacks against humanity, we now have humans attacking humans to the number of two million soldiers attacking their fellow human being. And the same interpreters who see locusts as helicopters also see horses as tanks that shoot both forward and aft, like this M24. We don't have to look too far in our history to see the Nazi Holocaust, the pre-born Holocaust, to look at examples of ethnic cleansing or genocide. But before we discount the possibility of two million soldiers killing a large percentage of humanity, consider how humans have taken millions of human preborn lives in the name of convenience or reproductive health. By announcing in chapter 8, verse 6, that there are seven angels with seven trumpets. And we hear about six of them. And then John takes a little bit of a detour. And he does this detour so that we become more excited about, I wonder what the seventh one is. He's told us there are seven. He's told us what the first six do. And now all of a sudden, he takes a little detour. Which makes us want to know, well, what happens with the seventh? Quick, tell us the seventh. All right, I'll tell you the seventh, and then we'll go back and we'll pick up the detour. Our anticipation is like, but wait, there's more. Not only have we had six trumpets, the seventh talks about a dominion that is established. See, today we see wickedness seem to multiply with new perversions that could hardly be imagined a generation ago. The spread of wickedness can be disheartening to us. It was during our own civil war when Henry Wadsworth Longfellow penned the poem that says, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then rang the bells, more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, 
the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But my friend, the seventh trumpet of peace on earth is preceded by six trumpets of something far worse than you would wish upon your worst enemy. Following the sixth seal, heaven breaks out with fire being poured on the earth. And following the seventh trumpet, the one who was proclaimed in Revelation 5.12 to be worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And now we see that the one in chapter 5 who is worthy is not only worthy to receive praise, but he actually accomplishes it. For we read in front of us, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on their thrones uh, bow down and worship, saying in verse 17, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Why? For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both the small and the great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. The one who is worthy in chapter 5, we now get to chapter 11, and he has accomplished. Well, now that I've eased your anxiety about what the seventh seal is, I've freed up your mind so we can consider really quickly what was said in the detour. The detour in chapter 10 is simply this. There are two perspectives that you and I need to keep in mind. As we think about the end times and things getting worse before they get better, the first perspective is things are not always as they seem. In Revelation chapter 10, God says something and he tells John, don't write this one down. But the thing that he said was written on a scroll and the scroll was given to John and John said, was told to eat the scroll that contains whatever God says is about to happen. And he tasted it and it was sweet. But soon his stomach began to turn. Because things are not always as they seem. And to us, it may be sweet to think about God is going to establish righteousness and then we begin to think about our friends and our neighbors that endure the wrath and our stomach begins to turn. If you hear a preacher who can talk about hell without a tear in his eye or a lump in his throat, I've got concerns about that preacher. Because it may be sweet to us to consider in the end we win, but there ought to be something about our compassion for our fellow man that turns our stomach at what they're going to have to go through. Chapter 10 tells us what seems sweet on the tongue was sour on the stomach. And if you take great joy that God is going to get even with wicked doers, pause for a moment because it ought to turn your stomach to consider 
the wrath that many of our friends, our neighbors, and our family will have to endure. Secondly, chapter 11, the second part of the detour, is a reminder that things don't always stay as they appear. God sends two witnesses. The witnesses are protected by him until they finished saying what God wanted them to say. And after they finished what God had for them, they are killed by the enemy. And as they lie dead in the street, it appears that wickedness won over the witnesses. And they lie in the street for three days. Now, where else have we heard about someone who is dead for three days? Jesus in a borrowed tomb. When the demons of hell think that they have won at the end of three days, God resuscitates these witnesses just as he resuscitated Christ. Because things don't always stay as they appear. So if right now you have hardship in your life, there's no promise that it's going to stay that way. Right now, if you have joy in your life, there's no promise that it's going to stay that way because things don't always stay as they appear before they are ultimately set right. As we read about the terrible wrath that will be poured out on the human experience, yet we live in a day where evil seems to go unchecked It's good for us to remember that things are not always as they seem. And we're not promised that things are going to be set right in a particular election. They may be temporarily changed in a human election. We've got seals that are about to be opened. We've got trumpets that are about to blast. And in a couple weeks, we're going to find that there are bowls that are about to be poured out. Things are not always as they seem. There's another part of the story. And things don't always stay as they appear. So we have the choice, we have the option right now to align ourselves with one of two sides. I could sing, who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? But instead, I've chosen another song where I am going to call each of us to stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Would you stand with me?